How do you get your thoughts? God is good. God is so, so good. So, gonna fit all that I have to say in such a short time, so bear with me a bit. Um, took me to Philippians chapter 3. And Philippians chapter 3 is a, what we would like to call a loaded chapter. A lot of content in it. It's not a very long chapter by any stretch. I mean, it's only 21 verses. But the, the content within that chapter is so, so profound. And what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try to condense so that I don't keep you here till that God would speak through goes. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful. We're thankful for, for who you are. Thankful for what you do. We're thankful for what you provide. Father, I ask that the words that you've given me to speak would minister about you. It's all about your kingdom. I ask for your Holy Spirit act me and ask you, Holy what only you can do. Come in our midst. Encounter us, Holy Spirit. We're hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was laughing with Jordan because if I wanted the piano behind me, and for the amount of times I had spoken, I had never had the piano, so I'm like, sure. I feel important now. I get the piano. Because you're awesome. So when I asked God after Megan, what if I had a word in my heart? Um, to be quite honest, I didn't know. I had to ask God. Well, the three minutes it took, I had something that God wanted me to say. I didn't know what at that point in time. He, he took me to a portion of scripture that I'm, I'm not overly familiar with, and it's Philippians chapter 3. And, and it's the whole, the whole chapter is... So, <laughs> you can see my struggle, because it's, it's loaded. So, it began with a conversation between me and God where he goes, Adam, do you know all the times that you've asked me to take you deeper? All the times that you've asked me for more? All the times that you've asked me for things? What have you done with those? Have you ever been asked that kind of a You don't normally have a great answer, but it's, it's one that I thought long and hard about. Holy smokes, that's a hard question to hear. The conviction that set in at that point that said, oh God, you know, I've said that, I say that on a regular basis. I find my sod, use me, change me, do whatever you want to do with me. But what did I do with it? 
I'll just let that sink in. Because that's a question that, that yeah, but, but what have I done with it? That's the conversation I had with God, and it wasn't, it wasn't, but it's amazing what came out of it when I stopped. You know, I'd, I could have, I mean, I'm a human. I could have got offended at God. I could have said, oh, wow, like, what did I do to deserve that? But it just caused me to go into a, a moment of introspection, a moment where I examined my heart and I said, forgive me for not doing something with what you've given me. And so I ended up in Philippians chapter 3. So I'm going to read that in the Passion Translation. Because I like the Passion Translation. So, yeah, I better get to it. My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mind repeating what I've already written to you because it protects you. Those religious hypocrites who teach you, who teach that you should be circumcised to please God. For we have already experienced heart circumcision and we worship God in the power and freedom, on laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. It's true that I once relied on all that I had become. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others, for my pedigree was impeccable. Sounds like Paul's kind of big deal. I mean, really, once I read this, you'll see he had every right to say that because he kind of was a big deal. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel, man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no. I was without a peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of the true messianic believers with religious zeal, yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I have now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing. Delight of experiencing Jesus Christ. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing it all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may know, or so that I may the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. The very righteousness that, and I continually long to know the one is more fully and to experience the the overflowing power of his resurrection working within me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him 
in his resurrection from the realm of death. I'm reading this, so I explain this in 15 minutes. Holy Spirit, I need you to work here. I admit that I have yet acquired, haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. Passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I have one compelling focus. I forget all I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus Christ. So let all who are fully mature have this same power. Anyone is not yet gripped with these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let, all, let us all advance together to reach this victory prize, following one path with one passion. Friends, imitate my walk with God and follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled for you. For there are many who live by different standards, as I've warned you many times, and I weep as I write these words, are enemies of the cross of the anointed one, and doom awaits them. Their God has possessed them and made them mute. Their boast is lifestyles, and their minds are in the dirt. But we are the colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical, the identical likeness of his glorified body. And you continually subdues everything to himself. What a chapter. So, my message is about, so that's, Megan asked me what my angle with this chapter is because there's so many things going on here that it can be taken in many different ways. But what God spoke to me was, was using Paul's example. In all of this, you look at the life that Paul had before he met Jesus Christ at the top of the Pharisees. I mean, in the natural, he had... He was a leader, he had influence, he had power to make decisions. I mean, he was important. Anyhow, he meets one man, and he goes from here. That's all it took was, was one man. And I, I mean, <laughs> if it was me, that, that uh, encounter that he had, I mean, I was stricken blind, and I would probably start looking for answers, too. You know, I'd probably lay my life down and say, okay, okay, you win. I can't say that I would do anything different than Paul. At least I hope I wouldn't. Because I look at how Paul gave everything up and ran full bore after Jesus. And I think, what have I done when I've asked God and he's called me? What have I done? I think all the opportunities I've missed. But God is continually puts more opportunities in front of us because he's gracious. 
He knows we're, we're humans. <laughs> he knows and how stubborn I am. But thank God that he takes a man like Paul who murdered Christians, who who the law so fiercely, and he turned him into a man who we know as one of the major players in the early church. He was the one that is responsible for two-thirds of the New Testament. Because what the devil meant for, good, for evil, God turned for good. And he created a man who chased relentlessly after him. Because he knew exactly what he was doing. So in Philippians, in, in, in verse 1, it's funny because everything that's been said today kind of works into this message at some way or another. Paul begins saying to the Philippians in chapter 3, Don't ever limit or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. So, it's like Megan was talking about. Don't ever let anything stop you from being thankful. No matter how bad it gets worse, so you might as well just be thankful. That's essentially what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I mean, you have every reason to be thankful. Don't be like the lawmakers. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be do this because you want to do this. Be thankful that you have the opportunity to do this. To follow our Lord Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about pursuit. That stopping at nothing until he reaches the end of his life. Don't do it because it's something that you think you're supposed to do, like circumcision. Because otherwise it just becomes an act. It becomes a work and it loses its power. It just becomes, it actually becomes gross in the sight of God is what version says. Because what it, what it used to mean in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, is that it was a symbol that they were Jews. It was a symbol that they, as, as a requirement of being a Jew, But in verse 3, Paul actually starts talking about we are, he, he, he kind of says, we've already experienced the circumcision. In the new, because when you encountered Christ, when you confessed your sins to him, at that moment your heart was circumcised. Because really circumcision just means cutting away things that don't, so, when we laid down our life and gave it to Christ, at that moment, God took out his scissors, took out his knife, whatever instrument he decided to use in this instant, and he starts carving your heart. And I mean, it can be messy. I know it's, it, it, it isn't necessarily a fun a fun process to go through, but, again, the fruit that comes afterwards. 
So he takes, he starts taking the scissors and we experience the heart circumcision. He's cutting away the things that don't matter, the things that hurt, that you thought mattered. He was healing your heart because as he was removing that, he was putting himself back in. And in Paul's case, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting because Paul kind of experiences a circumcision in a different way. He takes his successes and everything that had gone right for him, that's what's going on here, is, is Paul is saying, you know what, I have influence, I have the ability to tell people where to go and they've got to go because I'm an important man. But Lord, I hear, I hear your cry. And, it, and it, from this moment, and he begins to tell them that, no, I, I mean, when it came to Jews, I was as Hebrew as Hebrews can be. I was as devout as a Pharisee could possibly be. I was the spectrum from what Jesus is. I took the law literally and it sucked the life out of it. So after he talks about circumcision, talking about praise and worship, we have the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we already talked about this. It's when you're in the midst of a circumstance, when you go to church because that's what good Christians do, even though you don't feel like being there, and you might even complain like, oh, but without fail, every time in my life that that's happened, I go and I start art. And it's just like, like Tamaris, I'm good. I want to be here. But that's because, that's because it takes the focus off of us. And it surrenders how you feel without you even really having to say anything. It takes how you feel and brings Jesus up over above them all. Over possibly face. I mean, over your success, it's, it's amazing what worship does because it sets your heart up for surrender. I'm really compressed. <laughs> um, I believe that this is, this is one of the first steps in surrender. I really do. I, I believe that worship sets it up because it... it the right frame of mind like Paul was in in the of Scripture. So Paul goes into his testimony. The achievements that he did for Judaism, all, like, his lineage, success, all the persecutions, the sin, everything, he lays it all down at this moment complete surrender 
is what Paul experiences in this moment. Talking about is, is those things important. They're like a heap of garbage to me now. I've traded it all for the most wonderful experience that anyone can experience. And being able to know Jesus Christ. It's amazing how fast your life can turn when you just lay it down. When you lay it down, God lifts you up because your problems are no longer your own. Your successes are no longer your own. They're his, his stuff. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard it said so many times that God is a jealous God. He's a selfish God. He wants everyone to himself. That's, he cares about you so much. And I'm not talking about the bad kind of selfish. I'm talking about this is God. He, is, he wants you to himself, each and every one of you, because your imagination more than you could even begin to fathom. And it all starts with surrender. It all starts with your yes. It all starts with, God, I don't know how, but I trust you and I'm laying my life down for you. In, in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, All the things that, you, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, all the things that used to matter, they're insignificant, and I count it all as rubbish. <laughs> That's a fun word, rubbish. Rubbish. When I gave up those things, I gained Christ. As, as he did, made the decision in his in his mind, in his heart, to lay it down, that's the moment where he gained Christ. That the degree that you lay it down is the degree that you with spiritual things. From personal experience, when you straddle the line, it might look like you're going somewhere. Well, you are, you're going around in circles because I did it for so, so long. I was, try I, I was pretending like my heart was surrendered, but it surrendered. The surrender that Paul was, is, here's my life, everything that I've made of it, into the burning pile, gone. That's literally what he did. Complete surrender. His old life was gone, and he walked into this crazy, crazy walk that he endured. I mean, you look at what Paul went through, and he, it was amazing. It wasn't easy by any stretch. I mean, some of the shipwrecked, Stranded on islands, I mean, you name it, the guy. And 
I'm saying that because surrender isn't easy. But when you make the decision God's been speaking to me about doing, by cutting, sometimes things that I don't necessarily want to get rid of, by, by me saying yes, it's taken me into some, some wonderful journeys, breaks, with, with the Holy Spirit. Quite often, quite honestly, it, it, was, it was a fun experience going through all of this. Because I, God wakes me up at 10 to 5 this morning. And for those of you that know me, Adam isn't in a good mood before about six. And even then it takes me a little bit to warm up to people. But I woke up 10 to five and I have a smile on my face. I'm like, what? So I say, okay, God, do you still want me to say what I'm gonna say? What you gave me for scripture? At this moment, Hebrews chapter four, for some reason, is ripping through me. Like, it's, it, I, my mind is racing, thinking about Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm like, what? That's about rest. I'm trying to talk about surrender. God says to me, oh, good, I got your attention. Now that, that's, just put that on the shelf, study that later. You can still talk about surrender. Gee, thanks. I mean, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> he got me pretty worked up. But it's funny because I was talking about surrender, but I mean, if it would have came down to it, if I would have had to spend my morning getting that message ready, even though I had put a lot of work into this, being surrendered and being open to hearing what he has to say at any given time is what it's all about. So, in, as we go through the rest of this chapter, he's talking about where your identity is found, really. The surrender of your life to Jesus' identity it creates maturity in you because you now have the ability to say, you know what, God, this isn't necessarily what I want to do. You're telling me that I'm going to do it. Who knows that sometimes that's not easy to do. I mean, it'd be nice to walk through life and only get to do the things that you want to do. Does it ever happen? It, I guess it might. It's, I can't, can't say it. It's not very likely that that's going to happen. But as you surrender yourself to God, he's going to put things in your heart that he wants you to do. And it's going to become what you want to do. Because it changes your identity. Your righteous, your, your self-righteousness 
falls away and Jesus becomes your righteousness. It talks about that in this chapter as well. I mean, that's a, that's a whole... But what an, what an amazing example to follow where he laid his life down, where he was able to surrender, and he said, all that matters now, and I'm going to have to wrap this up in some sort of way. Um... Paul's mission at this point. In verse 12, it says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past and future. So he's fastening himself to the future that Jesus has laid out for him. And he doesn't know what it looks like, might I add. He's running into this blind. And he said, whatever it looks like, God, I'm yours. You have the ability to make that Because in the end of this chapter, close with this, time as any, I guess. He says in verse 17, My beloved friends, I walk with God and follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled before you. And then it says some stuff about religion and he says, don't do that. Don't be religion, religious about it. But we are the colony of heaven. On earth, as we cling tightly to our life giver, Lord, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us in this of his glorified body. And using his power, his, he continually subdues everything to himself. So as we surrender, this message about surrendering and pursuing, because this example that Paul lays out for us, we know everything that we have, everything we are, let it go and pursue him with we have. And we will be transformed into the image of Jesus. And when we allow ourselves to surrender and pursue him, people will be drawn to us. What a wonderful thought. Because that part of it is about the next generation. That as we, in, in the English Standard Version, it actually talks about for those who come after us, we create this pattern 
of Christ so that the next generation has something to guide them into the future, which they have no idea what it looks like. But they have a starting point, a launching pad, where our ceiling is, their floor begins. And so it's our responsibility, whatever stage of life we're in, to make the decision to fully surrender to God so that we can pursue Him with everything that we have inside of us. And I believe that God told me to say it's decision. To what extent will you surrender? To what extent, at what cost will you pursue me? Is it going to cost you something? Probably. Actually, I can guarantee you it will. Because you're completely abandoning yourself and allowing Jesus in. And there's so much more to it. But that's a good start. Render. Do we want the team? Yeah. Praise and worship team, you can come back. I believe that God wants to minister a little bit here. I believe what God wants to do is open up your heart and begin to look in. I believe that what what our in for those who are interested is to take take a surrender to him whatever that looks like in your mind whatever that God's showing to you at his feet. I I believe that we should take a couple minutes and do that because when you hear word, when when you experience something like Paul experienced, you can't be the same. Your heart will replace it and he will, he will consume what you're laying down at his feet as a sacrifice. And so, across this room, Father, first of all, if there are things that you've called us to surrender or called us to do for for the sake of it, Father, we repent. We ask that you'd forgive us for those things. And Father, that, that you would replace in us a desire to go deeper and deeper 
into you deeper than ever before so that we could passionately pursue you so that we would to whatever your voice is telling us without question without fail without what's in it for me God we set those things aside and we say have your way oh God how convicted I was when you said what have you done with those things it's out of a heart of love that God showing you things right now and I this is an Isaiah 6 for some reason God dropped Isaiah 6 into my heart this morning this is an Isaiah 6 moment where Isaiah has just saw the Lord. He had, he had an incredible vision. And, and he, he hears the Lord saying, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? I believe that that's, that's what's happening is an Isaiah 6 moment. Will you raise your hand? Will you be like Isaiah in that moment and say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Will you open up yourself to him and let him take you in this moment? Sean.